Welcome to the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the show from America's number one genealogy magazine. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. In this episode, we're going to check in at the editor's desk with Allison Stacy, editor and publisher of Family Tree Magazine. We'll cover the latest happenings in the genealogy world with the Genealogy Insider blogger, Diane Haddad. In our top tip segment, we're going to find out which of the 50 United States are genealogically friendly with David Frixell, who's written an article called States of Mind, appearing in the May 2009 issue. In the Libby's Spotlight segment, we'll be shining the spotlight on the Family History Library in Salt Lake City with Don Anderson, Director of the Family History Library and Family Search Support. We'll also be spotlighting another terrific website in the 101 Best Websites for Tracing Your Roots list. And in the Best of Family Tree Magazine segment, we'll discuss Irish roots with Sharon DiBartolo Carmack, author of the article Irish Blessings from the March 2008 issue of the magazine. There is lots to cover, so let's get to it. Our first stop is the editor's desk with Allison Stacy. Well, it's time once again to check in with Allison Stacy, publisher and editorial director of Family Tree Magazine. Hi, Allison. Hi, Lisa. You know, I just got my latest edition of the e-newsletter that you guys send out, and I understand you kind of have a special promotion going. Tell us about it. Yeah, well, for those of you who don't know um, about the email newsletter, it comes out once a week. It's free, and it highlights different news and tips and articles from our website that genealogists would be interested in. And right now we have a little extra incentive um, if you're interested in trying out the newsletter. If you sign up, we are offering a 42-page PDF called The Best of the Photo Detective. Those of you who are familiar with our website and magazine um, may be followers of Maureen Taylor's photo detective column and blog. She's also an author and she's really great at helping people find uh, clues in old photographs and identifying those. And so what we've done um, for this booklet is we've put together a compilation of her columns from the magazine and an excerpt from Maureen's book, Uncovering Your Ancestry Through Family Photographs, and it's going to be available to people for free when they sign up for our email newsletter. So when you say PDF, it just means they're going to have a link where they can go and download this file. kind of looks like a Word document, but it's um, a little booklet then that they can download right to their computer, right? Exactly. All you have to do is go to FamilyTreeMagazine.com, our website, and there's a box there where you can sign up for the email newsletter. You just enter your email address, and then that will take you to a confirmation page that will give you a link to download the PDF. Oh, that's neat. Well, I noticed that Maureen had a new video on the um, Family Tree Magazine channel on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And um, she's just got such a a great insight into the things that you can glean from those photographs, doesn't she? Yeah, and in fact, she um, does a blog for us. So people that are really interested in photo identification and learning more about how to really cull those historical details and figure out when a photo was taken or who might be in it. Um, She does that on her blog, and so by subscribing to the email newsletter, you kind of get that extra dose of it, and you're going to get the best of her columns from recent years and other information in this download. And I also wanted to mention that you know, there are, I'm sure, newsletter readers out there who might be interested in getting this ebook, um, and you can. It's real easy. You just go through the basic sign up process, is the same. 
um, go and sign up for the email newsletter on the website and enter the same email address where you're already getting the newsletter. Mm -hmm. Um, At that point, you'll go to that same confirmation page. You'll have the opportunity to update any of your preferences for your email sign-up account, and then you just hit submit, and you won't get to copies of the email newsletter. We we don't send them to the same address twice. Okay, (laughs) good. Good, so they can download the um, electronic booklet from there as well and update their information if they need to. And and I know you guys will love the newsletter. I get it every week, and it's nice because it's just a compilation of the, the blogs that Diane's doing and Maureen's great stuff and whatever's new and interesting, it's coming out. So you're getting those updates all the time in between your, your magazine issues. Right, exactly. Um, some of our readers say, you know, they wish that the magazine came out more often, and that's really a way for you to kind of keep tabs on what's happening and new in the genealogy world and get some extra information in between issues and um, kind of keep tabs on the genealogy world. And it's free. It is. Free is good. Okay, exactly. Great. Well, head over to the FamilyTreeMagazine.com website, and you can sign up for the newsletter and get your free ebook. Allison, thank you. Sounds like a good one. Thanks, Lisa. Today's news from the blogosphere segment, uh, we have the Genealogy Insider with us, Managing Editor Diane Haddad, and she's going to give us the inside scoop about what's been going on lately in the world of genealogy. Welcome, Diane. Hi, how are you? Good. It's, it's been a busy month on your blog. I know that you've got a topic that you want to share with us. What have you got for this, this month? Yeah, it was pretty exciting. This just happened. Roots Magic is, of course, the genealogy software maker, and they have been working on version 4 for what seems like forever to a lot of people. Yeah. And they um, finally announced a beta test uh, just yesterday, I think, and the program version 4 is now available for people to try out until the end of March. Right. I was just over at the um, Family History Expo in, in St. George, Utah, mm-hmm. and uh, saw it firsthand, and I, people were just buzzing. They were so excited, and it sounds yeah. like this is a complete rewrite. I mean, they have really pumped this uh, program up, right? Yeah, I think they, they took what they had, and then they just made it even better. It sounds like um, just one example is that you c- there's a little version of the program you can load onto a flash drive, and then you can take it with you, and you can run the program off of the flash drive on some other computer. So you can do research anywhere with that. Um, they make it really easy to share your family history with a, um, a shared CD that puts the information on the CD and then also a version of the program so you can give it to your relatives and they can look at everything without having to actually have Roots Magic. And I guess the other thing that's great about it is that it's certified to work with New Family Search, which is the uh, web-based program that the Family History, um, the Family Search folks have been working on developing on their website. That's going to be a big bonus, I would think. I think it will be, yeah, yeah. And so they are opening this up. Um, they're calling it beta, so I guess they're looking for some feedback. Can how yes. can people get involved in the beta process and maybe get a copy of it? Well, the link to download the beta version will be on our blog notes and people can go there you send in your email address and then they email you a code 
So you click on the link in the email and then you enter the code and then you'll be able to download the beta version. I should mention it's Windows software. So right. unfortunately I have a Mac at work. So, <laughs> so I wasn't able to actually try out the software. Um, and it the beta version ends March 31st and um, Bruce Busby over at Roots Magic has told me that at that point it reverts to a trial version that has limited features. So if you enter new information into the beta version, you want to export a JEDCOM before March 31st. Right, but that'll give you a chance to to try it out, see some of the new features. I know they've edited the um, family screen. You can really get not just the individual, look at the individual, but I think a more comprehensive view of them in the context of their family, which seemed like a, a terrific improvement for right. adding you know, your information as you're going along and seeing kind of how it all fits together and, right. and all the other it. elements. Well, great. Yeah. Um, again, they're at rootsmagic.com. I think it's slash preview, but we'll have the link to that free preview in the show notes for this episode so people yep. can download it. And I'll have a link to Diane's blog article about it as well. And we'll also have a review on the program version 4 in our July issue. Oh, great. So you'll have expert testers get in there and try it out and let us know what they think. Yes. Perfect. Well, great. As always, Diane, thanks so much for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you. As you probably know, if you've done research in a variety of states around the U.S., not all states are created equal when it comes to genealogical documents and resources. So to find out which are the best and the worst for genealogy research, you'll definitely want to read David Frixell's article called States of Mind in the upcoming May 2009 issue of the magazine. And David is here on the show today to give us a sneak peek. Welcome back to the show, David. Thanks for having me. This is a really fascinating article. I mean, several of the states mentioned are ones on the good and the bad list that I have to work with. And I was kind of curious, what kind of a criteria, what kind of process did you use to determine which ones were genealogically friendly and which ones were just kind of a headache? Well, I'll tell you, actually, this was very hard. This was one of the more challenging articles to do just because there are so many variables. And, you know, we're trying to be fair to uh, people of ancestors in all these different states. But we looked at things like availability of vital records. For many states, they didn't begin vital records, even keeping them, until fairly recently. In other states, they're very hard to get to, for sometimes for legal privacy reasons. Mm-hmm. Other states have had records destroyed for various reasons. Courthouse fires is probably the most common one. Other states have various things that just simply make researching there more complicated, uh, twists of history, boundary changes. A lot of states have sort of crazy quilts of counties that have, you know, sprung up over the years. So we tend to prefer states where, you know, there are a nice bunch of easy-to-find counties with, you know, easily, readily defined, long-standing county borders, things like that. Right. Uh, so it really, a lot of it, it's not the state's fault, in effect, if they're not uh, at the top of the list, because often it's just accidents of history that uh, make the difference. Then, of course, some states really have excelled in terms of putting records online where you can uh, access them you know, from the convenience of your home computer. So we certainly gave points to those states that have made the extra effort to uh, put their uh, most important genealogy records online. Well, and I think it really helps when you look at something like this to have an idea 
of um, what you're up against. So you're not chasing down something that just doesn't exist. And that was one of the great benefits I thought of the article was you really have a sense of what's there and then what is not there anymore. Exactly. You know, they, they say, you know, you can uh, pick your friends, but you can't pick your family. <laughs> it's true with your family tree, too. It, it's not, uh, you know, impossible if you have ancestors in one of these, uh, our worst states. But it's good to know the challenges going in so that you can figure out workarounds to, uh, you know, solve some of these challenges. Well, let's go right to it. Which one did you determine was the worst state or the least genealogically friendly? How about that? <laughs> well, the least genealogically friendly, the place where you at least want to have ancestors from in our ranking was the state of Mississippi. And a lot of that, as I say, is just accidents of history. Um, for example, uh, more than a third of the, the uh, Magnolia State's 82 counties have suffered some sort of record losses, typically in courthouse fires. So if the records simply aren't there, uh, if they've been destroyed, you know, you can't find them. Uh, Mississippi, as I mentioned about vital records, they didn't start uh, statewide birth and death records until 1912, uh, marriages and divorces not until 1926, and then there's even a gap there. So those records are going to be kind of tricky to find. Um, plus, going way back in history, Mississippi had a lot of, uh, boundary changes, um, it, you know, had flown various flags. Parts of it have been part of Georgia, Alabama, and even Florida. So that's all sort of complicated as you're trying to uh, work it out. And then finally, almost by definition, people with African-American ancestors, those tend to be more difficult um, for sort of obvious reasons, you know, to research. And Mississippi uh, was one of the states that had the highest proportion of uh, people who were uh, held as slaves. So if you have Mississippi ancestors, the odds are better than in almost any other state that some of them are going to be uh, former slaves, and that automatically gets in, you into some you know, research trouble. So pity the poor genealogist with family from Mississippi. You bet. And that's interesting because, you know, Mississippi is um, not one of the newest states, and yet its vital records often started quite late. So that really makes a difference. It's often surprising to people. I guess today we take it for granted that, you know, you get born, there's a record. You get you know, married, there's a record, all right. those sort of things. But a number of states were really pretty slow in, you know, uh, sort of jumping on that uh, vital records bandwagon. Even some of the earlier states, uh, in terms of entry into the union, doesn't mean that they started vital records uh, necessarily very early. So even some of our better states on the, in our top ten, uh, they you know kind of dropped down in the list just because uh, they did have that vital records problem. Well, if you would like to find out which was the best state on David's list, you're going to have to check out his article, States of Mind, in the May 2009 issue of the magazine. And you'll find out lots of great info, really interesting stuff about what's available in each state. And, of course, we have even uh, more help available through the recently completed series of Family Tree Magazine state research guides that can help you discover your roots in the top 10 and the bottom 10 listed in David's article and all the states in between. In fact, it also includes uh, Washington, D.C. and Puerto Rico. You can get those on a fully searchable CD or a library-quality hardbound book, or you can just download the individual guides that you need from the Family Tree Magazine website. 
So just go to familytreemagazine.com slash state guides. And David, as always, a really fun and fascinating article. Thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thanks very much. In June 2008, Family Tree Magazine honored the libraries with the biggest and the best collections of genealogical resources. And we're privileged to have on the show today Don Anderson, who's the director of the Family History Library and Family Search Support, one of the Libby Award winners. So thanks so much for joining me on the show today, Don. My pleasure. Don, I was hoping that you could maybe just start off by explaining to our listeners the relationship between the Family History Library and the FamilySearch.org website that so many of us um, have used, and, and then maybe what the role is that you play over the two. The Family History Library is uh, really one of the best places in the world to come uh, to physically be in, access the, uh, the collection, and be able to find your ancestors. And the website is really the way that we deliver the services of Family Search out to the world. So we have the Family History Centers, uh, where you can access a, a number of the materials, the Family History Library, with all of, all the materials, or much of it, really resident. And then the Family Search website, which has the ability to search and, and will increasingly have the, the resources that are available in the Family History Library and more uh, available to the world. And that is really happening, isn't it? I mean, it's like it's like the physical library is merging together with the um, website, and they kind of just become one unit. They have. So I was I was speaking at a genealogical conference on Saturday, and a part of what I said is you would expect me as the director of the Family History Library to stand up and, and say, you know, everyone should come to the Family History Library and do their research, and that would be wonderful. And my message over the last uh, three or four months has been the opposite, which is uh, we would love to have you come to the Family History Library, and it is still the single best place in the world to find your ancestors. But, but what is increasingly available and what we are working to do is to take the services of the Family History Library and make them available to you no matter where you are in the world, when it's convenient for you, and uh, and as I like to joke, in your pajamas. <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, when I think of the Family History Library and the website, now the website, we're starting to see more and more of the digitized images that we were finding before on microfilm at the library. But the thing that really sticks out in my mind are the books. What is the future of the books, those one-of-a-kind books that are held in Salt Lake City, the ones that don't circulate to the Family History Centers? What do you see in the future for them in terms of integration with the website? Well, as you mentioned, the, the, the film itself, we've begun digitizing. And while there are millions of images up online now, we've really only begun uh, to, uh, to make that collection available. What has not been available, as you mentioned, is the books themselves. And, and they've only been available with a visit to the Family History Library. Uh, there's about 350,000 volumes in the Family History Library itself. And then in the collection of Family History Centers around the world, uh, there's about another, what we estimate to be about 100,000 volumes in, in those centers. So we, we began a project about two years ago, which is not just Family Search, but also Allen County Public Library, the Clayton uh, Library. Um, I, I'm going to forget one or two now, the, uh, the Mid-Continent Library. Uh-huh. And, uh, and, and it's a joint project with a number of partners where what we're doing is digitizing the, the books and making them available online. So we, we just recently passed 25,000 uh, books available online. 
the, the wonderful thing about this that's, uh, that makes it a more usable set of books than, than Google, for instance, which has more books online, whose books are not quite as usable, is the fact that these are all genealogically relevant books. Yeah. And the other thing is that not only can you access them from home, which is wonderful, but what's even better is we've OCR'd them, and so you can do a full-text search of all of these books. So you can search across the entire collection for individual names or combinations of names and words, or you can narrow down to a single book and do the same. And, and it really helps the books not only to be more accessible, but also much more usable. And, wow, that is something that just doesn't happen when you pick up a book off the shelf <laughs> and start flipping through it. Um, to have the, the technology that can actually grab those search criteria right out of the pages and let you know if that's the book you want. That's pretty amazing. It is amazing, and particularly with a lot of the published family histories, the title and the catalog entry are useful, but they don't give you a sense of all of the names that are contained within it. So often you have to go through maybe hundreds or even thousands of books to find uh, the one entry that you didn't know was there for your ancestors, and this makes it much simpler to be able to find those books that, that may contain that reference to your ancestor hidden away in them. Wow. So for the person who they still would like to, to go in person, they want to see the Family History Library for themselves, what are some of your best tips for making the visit there and what you feel like is a must-do when you're going to actually be there in person? Well, I think plan ahead and uh, and map out your trip. Usually individuals only have a limited period of time, so it's map out your trip as to what are the essential uh, items as you work your way through. It also sometimes can be very easy to, to be distracted uh, if you're in there and, and take a, a right turn to where you expected to go. Sometimes that's valuable, but you often find that staying the course on what you have as your key objective helps you to, to maximize the library visit and ensure that you actually get all the way to the end. The other piece is to take advantage of, of much of the digital uh, availability, and, and so that isn't just the, the films that we have online. But the collection itself, using the digital imaging systems to be able to email back the images to you or be able to save them so that you can do more work as you get home. Because if you're like me, what often happens is I go and I'm doing research and I, and I find a, a section that I'm interested in and I transcribe what I'm looking for and then I get back home and I think, oh, if I just had that back in front of me again, I have one more question. <laughs> exactly. The that happens to, to you too. back to that again is, is very helpful. Oh, yeah. So that even happens to the director of the Family History Library. <laughs> <laughs> but fortunately, I have a little easier access the next day. So <laughs> You certainly do. Well... Uh, Don, I really appreciate you coming on the show. It's We couldn't even begin to do the Library of Justice uh, in just our short segment here together, but certainly we've just brought it back to the attention of the listeners that it is such an valuable resource, and, of course, it still remains free and available to everyone, and, then, and that really is the best part, I think. Well, it's a wonderful place to be. It's a, it's a pleasure and a privilege to work there, and we welcome everyone who'd like to come and hope they have a wonderful experience and, and increasingly hopefully can have that experience available at home as well. Wonderful. Well, we'll have links in the show notes for this episode to the Family Search website. We'll dig a little deeper and, and give you the link directly into the library catalog. And Don Anderson, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. In today's 101 Best Website segment, we're going to take a look at worldvitalrecords.com. And I am really happy to welcome to the show Steve Nickel, who is the president of FamilyLink.com, which World Vital Records is a part of. Welcome to the show, Steve. 
Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Oh, I'm glad to have you here, too. Now, I'm sure that most of our listeners are probably familiar with World Vital Records, but there might be a few who have not yet explored what is available there. Um, so maybe you could just start off by giving us an overview of what we could find at worldvitalrecords.com. We have uh, about $1.4 billion uh, records that you can access on worldvitalrecords.com, and that uh, ranges uh, from a, you know, a lot of content here in the United States, plus we also have uh, records that we're amassing from uh, different countries of the world, whether that be the UK, Australia. In fact, our Australian collection is going very dramatically right now. We have uh, records from uh, Germany, from Poland, uh, and certainly our, when we first got started, it was primarily focused on the United States, so that's certainly where our main content is. We have some very good historical newspaper collections that we have posted to the website, that we are about to post to the website, and that uh, that will be a, a major area of focus for us. That's been one of the things that our customers have really loved, is to hear the stories of their ancestors as they existed and were recorded in uh, newspapers. We have great relationships with some ma- major publishers of genealogical content, whether that be genealogical publishing company. Uh, we have a great relationship with Godfrey Memorial Library. They have some tremendous records that have never been posted to the web before that are going to be streaming onto our site. Uh, we have a long list of, of titles that uh, will be coming from them. They're a great partner of ours. Uh, we have several other partnerships that you know can't be disclosed yet, but are very significant that we're very excited to be bringing to the Internet. I think that's one of the things that really makes World Vital Records stand out is that eclectic mix of records. I know I've found things there that I have just never seen anywhere else, and you guys really seem to have a wonderful way of targeting some of those really unique collections and, and bringing them to people who might not have otherwise ever come across them. Right. One of the things that I think has been lacking out on the Internet is any type of Hispanic collection that's been fairly weak on the Internet. And we have some great collections of Hispanic records and Latin American American newspapers that we're going to be bringing out uh, very shortly. So, yeah, we, we try to get unique content. We also have taken an approach of a partnering approach where, you know, rather than uh, going out and trying to own the records, we're going out and working with partners that have collected records over a long period of time that you know they don't want to give away their their content, but they would love to have it uh, used out on the internet. And so, our partnering approach is also fairly unique in the industry. And that's partnering with these is it various libraries and archives. How do you decide who you're going to partner with and who who you look for? Well, you know there are a lot of partners out there who you know people know about. And maybe they've, they have a lot of content that exists in the library. And they've wanted an avenue to get it out onto the web, but they really haven't. That has not been their focus. They've been collectors of information. They've set up great library content and, and ways for, for customers to go into the library and access their information. But they would love to make that available to the world. So we'll go to them and say, let's jointly put that out to the world uh, through the World Vital Records website. And... You know, uh, what we try to do is we try to listen to our customers. We conduct surveys. We find out what records they're missing. And then we try to find out where those records are. And if we find a partner who has those records, we, and, you know, and, and some of our partners are very, very small, but they may have some very unique content that addresses a specific need that our customers have. And that's, we'll, we'll go seek those out. We have several people who spend every day 
searching uh, the web for unique content and, and content partners and records of where that content is, and then we'll uh, contact those content partners and and come to an agreement where they can benefit from the work that they've gone into and our customers can benefit and everyone wins. That's so great. It's, it's great that you guys solicit that kind of input from the customers. I'm sure the genealogists out there have lots of ideas and opinions about what they'd love to see and to know that you guys are out there searching for it is exciting. Now, I know that worldvitalrecords.com is under Family Link, but Family Link does more than just World Vital Records, doesn't it? Maybe you could just tell us a little bit about what other kinds of things FamilyLink.com is involved in. Sure. So FamilyLink.com, we, we have a side of our company, a very significant side of our company, that is uh, what we call social networking for families. Now, everyone has heard of Facebook, and Facebook is one of the fastest-growing websites in the world right now. And we build an application on top of Facebook called We're Related. So people who are using Facebook already can go out and start connecting with their relatives. And what has been interesting is that most people think that Facebook is a you know, 15-year-old to 25- or 30-year-old uh, application that exists on the web. And really the age of people using Facebook is growing dramatically. In, in fact, Facebook has, uh, in a sense, credited our application We're Related with pushing the average, uh, the age of the average user of Facebook up dramatically. In fact, right now, approximately 13% of Facebook users are over the age of 55. Oh, and, wow. And uh, many of them are using our, our Facebook application called We're Related. So the interesting thing there is that if you look at the younger generation, they're not necessarily going to go out and search for ancestors, but they would love to learn about it if it's given to them a better abide at the time. Uh, so, so for instance, if you look at the, at the the younger age group, the way they consume their news, or the, the way they communicate with their friends, or the way that they uh, look at pictures and glance at things, that's how they consume information. Mm-hmm. Well, if they have connected through our we're related application to uh, one of their aunts or their mother or their grandfather or grandmother who are actually out there doing genealogical research and they find some information on World Vital Records or elsewhere for that matter, they can post that onto the We're Related application, and uh, all of the people that are now connected uh, through that network are now updated on genealogical information, and they can, can consume it a little bit at a time, and all of a sudden we're starting to see the younger generation coming into the genealogy world, and that's a very exciting thing for us. You know, just to put it in perspective, when we, we, we launched our Facebook application about you know about a year ago and about three months ago we we actually broke into the top 500 websites in the world as far as traffic is concerned and right now from over the last three months we've gone from the you know the top 500 uh, yesterday we hit uh, the 134th most active website in the world so the the growth has been phenomenal on the we're related application, but that is now tying directly into genealogical records and, and drawing generations together. And that's saying a lot. When you think of the vast amount of websites that are on the Internet, uh, it's pretty exciting to see a genealogy website up there uh, so high in the ranking. We've been very excited and actually surprised, but very excited about it. Oh, well, that's great. Well, Steve, I really appreciate you taking a few minutes out to join us here on the show and um, not only share with us World Vital Records, but just all the exciting innovations that you guys are doing at FamilyLink.com. Thanks so much for joining us today. Well, thank you very much for having me. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to have participated. 
episode is being released right around St. Patrick's Day in 2009. And though it's not an official federal holiday in the U.S., it's certainly a favorite. And that may well be because 34.5 million U.S. residents claim Irish ancestry, according to the U.S. Census Bureau. Well, that's almost nine times the population of Ireland itself today. Well, if you fall in this category, then this Best of Family Tree magazine segment is for you. I've invited Sharon DiBartolo Carmack, author of the article Irish Blessings from the March 2008 issue to join us. And she's got seven steps for us to follow for tracing our Irish ancestors. Welcome back to the show, Sharon. Thank you, Lisa. It's good to be here again. Oh, great to have you again. I know Irish research is one of your specialties, and you've put together seven great tips in this article for doing Irish research. And I'm wondering, do you have a a favorite tip amongst all these great ideas? Well, I, I don't know that I would call it my favorite, but it's probably the one that is beneficial to the most number of people who are doing family history research on their Irish ancestry, and that is figuring out where in Ireland their ancestors came from. Oftentimes you you know Ireland, but you don't know anything else. You don't know the specific town land where the ancestor came from, and that's ideally the information you're trying to find. One of the things we often know or hear through family stories is a county where our ancestors came from, and that's helpful to begin, but again, we need to get down to the smallest geographical locality that we possibly can in order to find the records that we're going to need, and hopefully, if you make a trip to Ireland, you can find where your ancestors actually lived. The, the cottage may still be standing over there. Exactly. So, um that's one of the places that one of the things I think where genealogists run into trouble is trying to figure out the townland where their ancestors came from in Ireland. So the first thing is obviously talk to family members. See if anybody can tell you the county or um, a place where in Ireland they came from. If they say County Cork, the odds are good that that was where they came from, where they uh, left Ireland from, because the port Queenstown is in County Cork. And sometimes people misunderstood when you said, where are you from or, or where did you come from? They'll say County Cork, meaning that's where they came from, that's where they left from, <laughs> but oh. that may not be the actual place where they lived. So if County Cork is the answer, it could be true or it could not be true. So once you talk to family members, then you need to start scouting out records here in the United States because the answer is probably going to be in a record somewhere here. And if you don't have that information, it's impossible. Well, I don't want to say it's impossible, but it's much more difficult to cross the ocean without that information. And the way to do that is the Irish are known of one of the ethnic groups uh, and you're doing your research. The Irish are known for putting the townland or where they came from on their tombstones. Oh. And, in fact, I was doing research for one of my clients, and we all we knew was County Clare. And when we found his great-grandmother's tombstone, it said that she was from Kildee Sart in County Clare. And that's exactly what we needed. We needed the specific place. And then in another situation on my own family history, all I knew was County Leitrim. I didn't know anything else where my ancestors were from. And it wasn't on a record that 
my ancestor created, but it was on a record that my ancestor's sister's husband created. When her sister's husband became naturalized, he told where his wife's family was from, and that's how I learned that the townland was Ardvarni in County Leitrim. So you really have to do a lot of homework. You really have to broaden your search into a lot of different records, not just ones your ancestors created, but ones that other members of the family created too. That's a great point because working sideways could really bring to light information that just isn't found in the direct line. And and I imagine that that would happen too with tombstones, even though it may not be on your ancestor's tombstone. You want to check out all those family members, I would assume, to see if they did. Yeah, because if it's not on your ancestors, it might be on a, a brother's or a sister's or, you know, who knows. So broaden the search to everybody in the family. And another thing about Irish research is a lot of Irish ancestors, again, I'm generalizing, I probably shouldn't say a lot, but usually there's somebody in the family who either became a priest or went into the convent and became a nun. Almost every Irish family has a priest or a nun in there. Right. And even though these people didn't marry and have children and have descendants, oftentimes when they joined the religious order, there was quite a bit of biographical information that was collected on those people. And so if you know what convent or what order your ancestors, brother or sister who became a nun, joined and can get a hold of those records, that may give you the information specifically where they came from in Ireland. I have a friend who that's how she found out where her family came from. She researched the the aunt who had joined the convent, and it was in those records that told the townland where her family was from. What a great tip, because again, a person who doesn't have any children might not be the first person you think of. Exactly, exactly. And we tend to just kind of ignore those people because we think, oh, well, they didn't have children, they don't have descendants, What there were no stories that could have been handed down in the family, yet sometimes those are our richest sources. And in fact, sometimes those people, even if they didn't join a religious order, but they just never married, a lot of times those are the people who are more interested in the family history simply because they don't have the kids to hand it down to. And so that becomes their baby, their pet project, and and their interest in tracing, you know, the family history and learning about the family and collecting the documents and that sort of thing. So they can be a really valuable resource. Oh, those are all great ideas. If you'd like to learn more about Sharon's top seven tips for doing Irish research and some of these professional tips that she has, then you'll want to get a copy of the March 2008 issue of Family Tree Magazine, which is available in print issue, a back issue, or an automatic download from the website. And it's a great issue because Sharon has another article on there called Battle of the Bulge, and it's all about getting organized, and she gives five easy family history filing systems to choose from that will help you keep your pedigree paperwork under control. We all need that. So thank you so much, Sharon, for being with us here today. You've given us some great ideas. You're quite welcome, and I hope that helps some people get across the ocean and back to Ireland so they can make a trip themselves. You bet. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for joining me for the March 2009 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast. 
the monthly show from America's number one genealogy magazine. Here are a couple of action items for you until we meet here again next month. First, be sure to visit the Family History Library online at FamilySearch.org and World Vital Records at WorldVitalRecords.com. You are going to find a wealth of wonderful genealogical information at both of these websites. Then get out your May 2009 issue of the magazine to read David Frixell's article called States of Mind, which will give you the rundown on the most and the least genealogically friendly states. And finally, order your copy of the March 2008 issue of the magazine to get Sharon DiBartolo Carmack's great article on Irish research called Irish Blessings. You can order a print issue or you can get a digital download right there from the website. And I'll have all the links I've mentioned on today's show for you on the web page for this episode. You can find us on the web at familytreemagazine.com slash podcast. And if you have any questions or comments, I hope you'll email me at ftmpodcast at gmail.com. And if you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to this podcast for free through iTunes so that each episode will be automatically downloaded when it's published. iTunes is a free program, which you can download at apple.com slash iTunes slash download. And we have two videos for you on the Family Tree Magazine podcast website that will walk you through downloading iTunes and subscribing to this show for free. It's a great way to go. So thank you so much for joining me today. I'm Lisa Louise Cook, and I hope that you'll visit me at my website at genealogygems.tv, where you can listen to my free podcast, the Genealogy Gems podcast, and Family History Genealogy Made Easy. Both shows are also available through iTunes. So until next time, have fun climbing your family tree. 